around, only to gasp in terror as you realize it came from the Midwest. Hello, and thank you for adjusting your car's radio to the It Came from the Midwest, a horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. So go ahead and park, turn that volume up, because this week we are watching From Dusk Till Dawn. Welcome back to Vampire Month. As you obviously notice, Erin is not here for the intro this week. She's currently in New York doing a little workshop. I, I guess I don't know what you want to really call it. It's It's for her job, but they're doing a whole bunch of fun stuff, seeing Broadway musicals, all that jazz. While I'm here, alone with the cats doing homework, being an adult, editing the podcast, you know, the fun stuff. As you sit here and listen to me alone, ramble, trying to struggle my way through this intro, all by myself. Joy. Couple housekeeping things before you jump into the episode here. We have a brand new format we're trying out here. We still have the segments that you know, like character combos and tasty refreshers. They are just squished, and in their place, we've decided to take the intro that is now Killer Slices, and that's going to encompass most of the episode you're going to hear here. We're going to take a journey, so join us with you as we break down the entire movie, giving our own commentary, our own thoughts over every little piece of this movie. That's what we're doing going forward, probably. We just noticed that the intro was taking up a lot of the episode anyway, so we just went, meh, let's just do that couple other things we are reaching the end of vampire month next week on the podcast we have some guests we will announce that later on this week probably tomorrow maybe later tonight by the time you're hearing this follow our social media accounts facebook twitter instagram we will announce who that is and then we'll start giving the clues for our final episode for vampire month Next week's episode will be one year since we started the podcast, and what a journey. If you've been listening since episode number one, we greatly appreciate you. It's been a lot of work doing this podcast. We've learned a lot of things from mic problems, to getting new mics, to setting up the segments, to changing things, and your input has been greatly appreciated. And then there's been some weeks we've just been busy with life or sick that we've skipped a couple of episodes and we greatly appreciate people being understanding of that as well. So hopefully you stick around with us for another year as we continue to build this little thing, this thing being a podcast. And then in July, the first week of July, in fact, we have our 50th episode coming out. So that's a pretty big milestone, I suppose. We will announce July's theme next episode. And then we'll start giving clues out for our 50th episode. So rather than listen to me ramble and struggle to do this intro all by myself, how about we just, you know, jump into the regular episode. This is From Dusk Till Dawn. And now, on with the show. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. 
I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. be in trouble. There are a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Oh, yeah! Oh, Harvey Keitel, George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Juliet Lewis. Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. From dusk till dawn. From dusk till dawn from 1996, written by Quentin Tarantino. Story by Robert Kurtzman and directed by Robert Rodriguez. We're trying a brand new format with the show, so before we start off, let's just talk about Tasty Refreshers. Mmm. Tasty Refresher. What's your experience with From Dust Till Dawn? I know we've watched this before. I just can't remember, like, when we watched this. I think we watched it on a whim, like, in the old apartment. Yeah, I just don't remember, like, when we watched it. Sure. You know what I mean? Other than that, like, before then, I didn't know... You know, like, I had heard of it, but, like, I'd never seen it. I didn't know anything about it. So, a lot of it was, like, shocking to me. But, I mean, this time around, obviously, if you know, you know. However, this time around, also, I've seen way more Quentin Tarantino movies. And this isn't a Tarantino movie directed by, but it definitely is written by, and you can fucking tell. <laughs> like, you, this just feels like a Quentin Tarantino movie. When I introduced you to this movie, was it... Did did I tell you that it was about vampires, or did we go in blind? I feel like we tried to go in blind. Maybe you told me it was a vampire movie, but like you didn't tell me anything past that. I just mean, how many people... I know of people who have caught this movie when it was like on TV. They had no idea it was a vampire movie, and then all of a sudden, boom. Like halfway through the movie, it turns into a vampire movie. Honestly, this movie is just fascinating (laughs) i mean but i love quentin tarantino movies again i know this isn't a tarantino movie but it feels so much like one i could just listen to the conversations in this movie and have a good time so when shit hits the fan it's it's cool and it's funny and it's neat but at the same time i'm like i don't think it needed to go so hard so let's actually go into the movie now we're gonna start off with some character combos character combo So for character combos, we've got Harvey Keitel as Jacob. We've got Juliette Lewis as Kate. And then we've got Ernest Liu as Scott. This is the Fuller family that we see later on in the movie. Then, of course, we've got the Gecko brothers. We've got George Clooney, who's playing Seth. We've got Mr. Tarantino himself playing Richard or Richie. And then we have the usual class of characters we see in like Robert Rodriguez movies. You've got... Selma Hayek as Santanico Pandemonium. You've got Cheech Marin playing three fucking roles in this movie, as he does in most Robert Rodriguez movies. You've got, like, the first 
or at least one of the first like big performances by Danny Trejo. You've got Tom Savini as Sex Machine. You've got Fred Williamson as Frost. And then there's a little, almost a cameo, I'd almost put it as. You've got Michael Parks in here as Earl McGraw. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about these characters before we jump into this movie. Like, what's your opinion on this cast? I like George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I like this whole cast. I feel like... I've seen them in different iterations of things, so I feel like I know them, which I feel like I rarely know, like, most of the cast in movies. But that's what's unique. I think that this is George Clooney's first film role. And he's good in it. And George Clooney's always good. Yeah. Except when he's got Batman nipples. No, see, here's the thing. No. No, I'm going to tell you something. And I'm going to talk about it when we talk about the plot, too. The reason they have a hard time finding this man... Is because George Clooney is Batman. <laughs> George Clooney is not Batman. George Clooney is Bruce. He's a good Bruce, at least. Please. Uh, he is. He's a suave individual. But I also love Quentin Tarantino in this movie. Actually, I think upon our first viewing, Quentin Tarantino... God, this is going to make me sound awful. Because I was thinking about it. Because I was watching. I was like... I even wrote my notes. Like, QT is way creepier in this movie than I remember him being. And I was like, because I remembered him dying in this movie at one point and thinking, oh, that's really, really sad. But then I thought, like, watching this movie again, I'm like, uh, <laughs> is it? Because he's kind of creepy. He might be. I had more of an emotional connection between the two brothers in this movie when we watched it today. I don't know. It's really complicated for me, especially when he's like, I don't know, what he does to the chick in the... Hotel I'm not room. saying he's a good person, but it's definitely, I think I feel more, not so much Richie towards Seth, but Seth towards Richie. Yeah, no, for sure. He definitely has a thing where he's like, yeah, he's a fucking dumbass, but he's my fucking dumbass. Yeah, it's like a weird mice and men sort of thing. Yeah, it is. But I also love Danny Trejo, so. Danny Trejo's great in everything. He is like in his late 50s in this, I believe. He looks like he gets better with age. You know what I mean? Like He looked good. Right. Right. I mean, I also just like all the half-naked women in this movie, I guess. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll Looks like that. a good time, to be honest. I want that snake. They played a great role in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I would say mostly the brothers I really enjoyed. But honestly, I actually by the end also enjoyed. Is it John who was the dad or who's the dad? Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, he's cool. Harvey Keitel. Yeah, he ends up being a really cool character in this movie. Harvey Keitel is another actor that he is fucking awesome in everything he does. I just think that he plays a really neat, like his character development in this movie is really cool. Sure. You know what I mean? Because he goes by from being like, it's weird. I don't even know if I want to say they're scared. I'm sure they are. But there's just a weird fucking dynamic between the brothers and the family that I don't quite ever understand exactly, you know, what the vibe is. But it's definitely like, we won't run away, but like, do we want to run away? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I feel like the kids especially get into this like, yeah, this guy's kind of cool. So we've made another little change here. We're going to break down the plot of this movie and join us in the brand new segment that is Killer Slices. Killer Slice. 
I lied. Killer Slices has always been around, but we've just transformed it into this. I wanted to keep it. That's the only way I could figure out how to keep Killer Slices. Aaron's <laughs> laughing at me right now. We're just trying to get into the the sequence of it all. <laughs> so let's break this movie down. Aaron, start us off. Well, it just starts. <laughs> I was kind of um, t- taken aback. We didn't get any like opening credits until partially into the movie. I don't mean like partially, like halfway. Like I mean, we get a whole ass scene before they're like, look at these people. <laughs> and it's definitely the most Quentin Tarantino scene out of the entire movie. It is. So I have like, well, it just starts. I am offended <laughs> that this fucking cop walks in and he's like, Stop eating food out of a microwave. It's going to kill you. I'm like, sir, I've been eating food of a microwave for 27 years of my life. Mm, it shows. I'm still here. Yeah, I know. I fucking look old. I get it. Oh, my God. But I also, like, for some reason, it really bothered me. It felt like the cop was, like, mumble talking to this kid. Like, he was like, I'm up in town. And, man, yeah, they got former rangers. And I'm like, sir, can you open your mouth past, How like... How dare you speak ill I, of Michael Parks? I can't. Like, I was just like, why is he opening his mouth only halfway up? Like, <clears throat> okay. So anyway, the cop goes into the restroom, and the guy, uh, Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney, come Seth up... Seth and Richie, yeah. Yep, come They've up. got girls hostage. Yes. And Quentin B- before Tarantino... Before we go further, I just also want to point out, this movie, for me, is very hard to write notes over, because... Quentin Tarantino, the writer, is such a fucking good writer. You're like mesmerized by just a simple conversation between Michael Parks and then the the attendant that works at the place. It's true. And... He's just having a conversation about, not going to repeat the R word, but he's talking about like a mongoloid that's cooking food and mm-hmm. giving the shits or something. Mm-hmm. It's just some going back and forth. It's kind of like, let's use Pulp Fiction as an example, the Kahuna Burger talk, which yeah. comes into play later in this movie. Of them just like talking about, oh, do you know what they call a Big Mac in Europe? They call it a Royale with cheese and stuff like that. It's a fascinating little conversation. Yeah, no conversation seems trivial in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's always so interesting, and I'm not sure exactly why, but it is. Is this also the only movie that I can think of that George Clooney does not have white hair? George Clooney looks real good in this movie. Although I did write down... Which so which one is the handsome one? Because I'm gonna be honest, Quentin Tarantino's look in this movie is doing something, and I can't explain it. I don't know. Ew. He looks good in this movie. <laughs> he looks like your fucking nerd ass. I don't know, friend. It's it's good. Okay. Anyway, they walk up to the guy, and QT is having one of these moments where he's like, he like he uh what is it like contacted the rangers or he's giving him signals yeah he's giving him signals he's like on edge he's like this dude is working for someone else and the guy behind the counter is like no nah, man i have not given signals and then he's like he mouthed health help us i'm like what what the fuck would it also surprise you that when quentin tarantino was writing the script for this he was also working on pulp fiction no <laughs> I mean, no. Well, there's lines in this movie that I'm like, that is in Pulp Fiction almost. Like, where he goes, be cool, be cool, be cool. Because in Pulp Fiction, we've got the, like, be cool, baby, be cool. And all I'm thinking is, how can this cop not hear at least some of this conversation from the bathroom? I didn't think they were being... The bathroom's in the back of the store, and it's also behind, like, the the freezer or fridge section. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, it just seems like they're they're talking very loud. You've never worked in a gas station before. When you're back in the coolers with those fans running, you can't hear shit. Okay. Anyway, they're basically like, you say anything, you die, don't tell the cops. Cop walks out, they're acting, quote, normal, 
And QT shoots the cop in the head, tries to shoot at the shopkeep or whatever, the kid behind the counter. Well, he's just fighting with him, going, he mouthed, help us, because I didn't fucking mouth, help us. Yeah, and he gets a gun from the safe. And honestly, like, this partner work is like something out of a webtoon I've read, because I swear to God, like, George is like, all right, you're going to fucking die in two seconds, so it doesn't really matter what you said. And he's like... Yeah, he shoots Quentin Tarantino through the hand. Yes, and he shoots Quentin Tarantino's hand, and he's like, hey, QT. I'm just going to keep calling him George and QT. QT, shoot the bottles above his head, and like fucking... This partner work, oh my god, he lights... George lights the toilet paper on fire and throws it over, and like the fucking alcohol that spilled all over the place and on the kid just lights up and burns and i don't think alcohol like that burns no i don't think it burns like you can definitely burn it a little bit but it doesn't cause like a gasoline fire either way they walk out all cool like don't even look at the explosion on the way back you know they're just fighting like brothers cool guys don't look (laughs) at explosions And then I saw the popcorn and I was like, oh man, that popcorn's extra crispy now. It was popping. Did you hear I know. It? That's what I said. It's going to be extra crispy. Yeah. He falls, the attendant, he's on fire. He falls on like a bag of like industrial bags of popcorn. And they start popping while he's like on fire on top of them. And then we get our opening sequence, basically opening credits of like, who's in the movie? What's the movie? All that stuff. And then we get the opacity turned down on the trunk so we can see that there's someone in there. <laughs> This is one of the things that I guess could be like a trivia thing later on, but you, do you know why the movie's called From Dusk Till Dawn? Besides I mean, the obvious fact that it's about vampires. Well, the bar's open from dusk till dawn. Sure, but thinking of like the, the theming of the movie, what do most drive-ins say? Open from dusk till yeah, dawn. Yeah, open from dusk till dawn. So they want to make that. a drive-in movie. So that's where it comes from. My attitude, I don't know if this is correct thinking or not. If, if you've ever seen the poster for From Dusk Till Dawn, it's like two posters. Like, you know, if you go to like an old movie theater and they've got like a new poster up and sometimes this happened a lot when I worked at the movie theater posters during the summertime, they would sometimes melt to like the glass casing. Mm-hmm. So it looks like there's a poster behind like one of those melted posters on there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I get out of this that kind of fits that like grindhouse drivers mm-hmm. like drive in special. Where it's it's two movies and someone looked at looked at two movies and kind of smash cutted them together to go, oh, it's a gangster, like Reservoir Dogs type movie but mixed with vampires, kind of like if you've ever seen Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, the mm. story where the author came up with the idea for that was he was promoting Pride and Prejudice and zombies, mm-hmm. and then it was he was in a bookstore and I think the new Twilight book had come out. I don't remember what the there was a vampire book that came out and it was right next to the book Lincoln mm-hmm. that came out. Like the one, I don't think that's what the title, it was an Abraham Lincoln book, but he saw the vampire book right next to Abraham Lincoln and went smash cut together. Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. So we get to a scene where they pull up to a motel. Like it's a really small motel and he's dinging and dinging. And then the old man comes up and he's like, what do you want? And he's like, you mean old man, I want a key. And he's like, he says, oh, okay. What do you mean? What do I want? You mean old bastard. I want a room. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then QT's in the other seat being like, well, do they have a TV? Do they have a pool? Do they have this? And then George is like, they have four walls and a bed. That's all we need. And he's like, well, we could want more and stuff like that. It's so funny that like the dynamic between the two is so good. Like any conversation they have, even if they're arguing and saying the same shit, like they could say the same shit over and over again and I'd be like, 
fascinated. Again, I, I love this scene, too, because it's they come into the room. It's another one of those, like, Quentin Tarantino back and forth. Mm-hmm. Because it's Richie is talking to him about, do we really have... Because their plan is they want to get across the border into Mexico. Yeah. They're meeting somebody. and They're going to... I assume it's a town called El Rey. Yeah. But in order to get there, they have to give 30% of their the money they stole. Yeah. And so Richie's complaining, can't we get a better deal? So they have an argument right here about, no, it doesn't change. It's not 25. It's not 20. It's scripture. It's got to be this way. It's, this is how it is. And then they also have the conversation with the lady where he's like, if you ask a question, Mr. 44 answers it. If you do this for rule number two, refer back to rule number one. I wrote down like, oh my God, there are so many rules. Also, my favorite thing is he's literally like, you're like a plant. You sit here. You don't ask questions. Plants don't ask questions. And I, all I can think of is like, yeah, I am a plant. I will be the plant. So then Seth leaves. He's trying to scout the horizons and try to figure out what's the best possible way that they can sneak across the border and get into Mexico. I think their plan right now was to use the woman in some capacity. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, it doesn't bother me. But I just feel that there's a lot of stuff that's kind of unexplained in this movie. Do you feel like, I mean, not that not it, really, I not that it be- needs to be. I'm just saying, because he goes in to be like, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but he's like, I'm just a common thief. And I'm like, but you're kidnapping women. And also like, it just, it seems really extravagant for a common thief, I guess. But like. I think it's just for me, it's the one, it's another one of those things like Quentin Tarantino. Just the writing is so good. I don't fucking care. Like, it's like Pulp Fiction. I don't need the backstory for that's fair. those characters. Yeah. It's just a day in their lives. It really is a day in their life. It, that's what makes it so good. And during this time, I'm sure you want to go into it. Well, during this time, there's actually a lot of things happening, kind of, because QT is like sitting on the bed. He's yes. like, you want to watch TV with me? And she's just obviously still crying and shaking because a gun was put to her face. And he's like, come on, Pat, come on. And she comes over, he's like, take off your shoes. And I'm like, oh, QT's in in it for the feet again. If he was, he was going to write feet into this. And boy, does he write feet into this. And then also during this time, we meet the family. Yeah, they're at like a gas station or like a diner. It's like a diner and... The dad's talking about how he just wants a place to sleep that's a bed that has a bed, you know, because yeah. he's like, I just can't sleep very well. Yeah, because they've been driving across country in an RV and he's been sleeping in the RV the entire time. And I swear to God, the way these kids talk, because he's an ex-preacher, the way these kids talk, they're like, Dad, if you don't roll with Jesus, you can't roll with us. So I'm like, holy crap. And then he goes on and she's like, what would mom think? And he's like, well, she's dead. And I'm like, damn, dad. She just died. Yeah. Like, holy shit. But I think it's neat because it's not like, hey, I lost my faith. It's, oh, I fully acknowledge that Jesus Christ and God exist. It's just that I don't have the faith enough to be a pastor anymore. I don't like these people anymore. Yeah. I remember what he specifically says, but that's what it is. I still believe there is a God. I still believe that there is Jesus. I just choose to ignore them, which I think is important later on, which allows him to have the ability to make the holy water and stuff because he still believes in that stuff. And I think during this time, too, we find out that it, like, on TV, they're talking about the three rangers that were killed and the one woman that was killed in, like, their heist of breaking George out of jail. Yeah. Or during the bank heist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because... Where we get a cameo. We get a cameo from John Saxon. Yay! And then this is where I say the reason they can't catch George is because he's secretly Batman. Because he went to Big Kahuna Burger? 
Batman. <laughs> so I I both like this scene and also like so I was writing notes during the scene at the hotel, like this scene coming up. And if you don't look at the right points in time, you like miss the blinking of like what he did to the woman. Yeah. You know it's what I also mean? interesting. I don't know if you noticed this when he goes to check the wound on his hand. He lifts up like the duct tape and it like does a golden glow on his face. Oh. I could have imagined that, but I'm hmm. like, that's very Pulp Fiction. Interesting. But yeah, when you finally see like the whole scene, quote, quote, kind of behind George's back, like <laughs> you're like, fuck, QT has a problem because he's like, she was she was a totally different person when you left. And I'm like, oh, no, fam. And this is my favorite thing is that. George grab basically grabs his face and turns around. He's like, I'm, I don't fucking do this. Do you understand? I don't fucking kill people. I'm a thief. I don't kill people. And he's basically holding his face like, tell me you fucking understand. Say, Seth, I fucking understand you. And I love, like, I don't know. There, there's something about it that's like they never really get, quote, mad at each other, but they they get mad he's at each other. disappointed. Yeah, because he does a similar thing later, right? I mean, yeah. like. But it's like, it's like this moment that's like one of the first times I noticed, like, you can tell, like, I think he deeply cares about his brother in terms of like, tell me I understand. And he's like, gupping his face, like he's upset with him. But why did you, it's not that yeah, like. Yeah, it's like, why did you do it? Why'd you fucking do it? Yeah, like, why do you have to be this way? I love you, man. It's that kind of attitude. Yeah, well, and it was, what was it? He's like, is it my fault? Is, did I do this? And he's like, no, it was her fault. It was her, she did it. But anyway, you know what? Okay, I'm going to throw it out here. I should have said this in the beginning they gave they gave george this like dollar general ass like tattoo on his neck that leads down to his shoulder it it bothers me you unlocked a fun fact he <laughs> decided to have that tattoo that was not in the script well he wanted it maybe someone should have advised him to uh it, it's fine it looks fine it's just well first of all it's the tattoo of all douchebags but like <laughs> Sorry if you have that tattoo. I just feel like I've seen that on TikTok a ton where they're like, in this era, wife beaters had this tattoo. <laughs> so anyway, which I guess fits. It just seems oddly placed, I guess. But I just had to bring it up because I have tons of tattoos. Anyway, I have in my notes, wow, Judy. <laughs> That's not her name, but like. Juliet Lewis's character. Yeah, a bit judgmental. I was like, what oh, is Kate. she? Yeah. Oh, she's at the hotel. She's like, this is a flop house. And I'm like. Okay, then you can sleep outside. <laughs> and they almost hit George Clooney, Seth. Yeah, isn't he just like eating a sandwich or something? He's got something. I think he's just walking back to the hotel room and he sees them in there. And I just like, you can see the wheels turning in his head about like, huh, I know exactly how to get across the border now. So then Richie knocks on the door and he's like, hey, sorry to bother you. The, the wife wants ice and we don't have ice. So the guy, the dad, turns around and he grabs the ice bucket only to be met with a gun, basically. And then George walks in with a gun to the kid or does... I can't remember they who They both moves. come in. Yeah, they both move in. And the girl comes in later after, like, swimming. And George basically says, get changed in three minutes. And in my mind, I'm like, she already has her outfit picked out. Three minutes seems like a lot of time. So she must have just been sitting in that bathroom until he let her come out. Uh-huh. Anyway, during this time... It's also he's ra- he's yelling a whole bunch of racist shit at his son. Yeah. And he goes something like, 
he goes, who is this? Who is this? Is this your like playmate? Or he makes something like sexual. Yeah. He goes, no, it's my son. And he goes, he looks Japanese. He goes, you, you don't, don't look, look Japanese. Japanese. He goes, he's, that's because he's not Japanese. He's Chinese. <laughs> Basically, he says, you're going to get us across the Mexican border in your vehicle. You know what I mean? But we also have that. It's Juliet Lewis and Richie's got the gun against her head. I did not include this because I actually hate this. But she turns around to speak to Quentin Tarantino. This is all in his head. Yeah, it's in his head. something like, hey, Richie, would you like to eat my pussy? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, y- yeah, yeah, sure. Is that what you want? And then she's, you know, he's like, Richie, go. Knock it off. Yeah, knock it off. So we cut to, they're in the, is it a camper? The RV. RV. Yeah. RV. And George is up front looking through, like, his wallet or something, sees his wife, talks to him about his wife, Jacob. Yeah, he's literally, he's getting information about Jacob. To he's just shooting the he shit. how he lost his faith, yeah. Yeah, he's just shooting the shit, honestly. And Jacob gets to the point where he's like, I don't fucking like you. Like, I've, I think I've been personal enough with you. And what's so cool is during this whole thing, it feels like, I'm going to say Seth now. <laughs> it feels like Seth actually wants to talk to him but then he basically flips the switch and says i don't fucking care about you i don't fucking care about your family i think as much as he's a thief and he's a dirty kind of scoundrel i think seth does care about i think he's a good guy like i don't know how to sure yeah you know but one of my favorite parts during this too is that he's talking to jacob and he's like do you want your daughter to, you know, did you see the way that my brother was looking at your daughter? He's like, yeah, I didn't like that, did you? No, I didn't. And so he's like, if you make sure we get to Mexico, I'll make sure your daughter, you know, is untouched. And he's like, if he touches her, I'm going to kill her. And he's like, that seems fair. But this whole thing, oh, one of my favorite things is he's trying to talk to her in the back. And he's like, did you want me to do what you asked back? Well, it's not only that, it's right before it happens. It gives us the framing on like her feet and Quentin Tarantino looking at Y'all, her. So we get that. The toesies. The toes. The and, and he keeps asking. Finish. And before he can like actually say what it is, one, I think, I can't remember if he says stop. No, it's not stop chitter chattering. He's like, hey, put in your bit. And he opens it and it's like a fucking Invisalign. And he's like, sorry, I grind my teeth. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) But more than this, too, I do like the conversation between Jacob and Seth also, because it's them coming to an understanding. Like, I promise you, if you get us across the border and we get to, like, do you just stay with us during the night? Your family will live. It's I swear upon that. And just that understanding, too, like you said, where Jacob's like, if he touches my daughter, I'll fucking kill him. And he's like, I understand that. Glad we're on the same page. So they come up to Border Patrol, basically, and they're searching pretty much every vehicle because they're looking for Seth and Richie. Yeah. So Seth and Richie go in the bathroom with Kate. Kate. Go in the bathroom with Kate and hide. And they're basically like, just make shit up. You'll be fine. And he's not great at it. I think he's okay. It's just the fact that his son is trying to freak out and go like, this is our chance to get out of here. And he like rips out his son going like, I'm the guy in charge here. You let me do it. And I think it's just because he's nervous. And when Cheech Marin comes up and he knocks on the window and he's talking to him, he goes, oh, it's me and my son. We're going across into Mexico. And then Seth is like, stop, Richie. You're acting like a nut. And he's like, what? What does that mean? With that that, ins- that ensues that I've I've always or I've done nutty behavior. Am I nutty, Am I nutty and, to yeah. you? What's the nuttiest thing you've ever and done? And so they're making noise. And the guy's like, who's that? And she said, that's well, my daughter. Well, he knocks daughter. him out. Well, not yet. 
they're making noise and then he's like what's that and he's like oh that's my daughter he's like you said you were with your son or whatever oh yeah and my daughter too he's like i'm coming in and yeah then i think he he fucking clocks him and when they come in she is on the bathroom like on the toilet and they're hiding in the shower like he's holding them up and basically our bro richie is is out for a good time I'm a little disturbed because I know Juliette Lewis was 21 years old when they filmed this, but how old is her character supposed to be? 17. Is it 17? I think so. I thought that's what I was thinking too. It bothers like, me the men in this, this movie that look at her the way she they do. Like yeah. the guy, he fucking focuses on her while she's on the toilet. It's not even that. It's not like a glance. Like he slowly shuts the yeah. door and he's like looking down it's at her. It's obvious. Okay. So then later on... Richie wakes up and Seth is basically like, guess what? We're Mexicans now. And I'm like, I mean. But he's just still like, we're in Mexico, buddy. You'll be fine. You just passed out. I don't know what happened to yeah, you. Yeah, he's like, I don't I don't remember what happened. And I was like, probably a good thing, fam, because you'd probably be pretty angry. Anyway, Seth walks up to Jacob and says we're going to the titty twister. Yep. And we're going to wait for him till morning. We're going to get fucking drunk. And that's what we're going to do. And the titty twister is bitchin'. Yeah, it's awesome. So they get there, and he has to punch out the second roll of... Of Cheech Marin, yeah. Yeah, Cheech Marin. Well, you come up to, just kind of giving you what it looks like, you come up to the titty twister, it's the bar, it's got all these neon flashing lights saying it's from, it's open from dusk till dawn, you've got like the neon woman that she's playing with her boobs... You've got, like, the hot girls, and it's Cheech Marin in the front where he's, like, a carnival barker going, come on in. And it's a biker and trucker bar. There's all of these semis everywhere. There's all these bikes everywhere. It's just blasting music outside. It's Cheech Marin going, come on in. We've got all this pussy. We've got wet pussy. We've got dry pussy. we got stinky pussy. Yeah, we got good pussy. Gross. It's just, like, a long thing of him explaining every type of pussy there possibly is. Yep, and... They don't allow him in, so he allows himself with a swift punch to the face. He beats the shit out of Cheech Marin because he tries to stop him from coming in the bar. Yes. So when they get in the bar, he goes up to the bar and it's Danny Trejo and a few guys walk up and they say, you can't drink here. You need to be a trucker or a biker. And Jacob speaks up and says, I have a vehicle that requires... Oh, it's because Seth tries to fight with them. Yeah. Tries to throw them fisticuffs. Yeah. And Jacob speaks up and says, you need a second class license to drive my like motor vehicles so technically we are and danny trejo hates it but he gives them the whiskey yeah a a bottle of whiskey i also have to talk about when they come in the bar and you actually see what's in the bar they have naked women dancing everywhere those women have got to be exhausted um yeah because there's no breaks they're like doing it from dusk till dawn yeah it's not like a typical strip club where like and coming out the floor is jazz man. And then something. we get like a glimpse of Sex Machine who has like gun for a penis, right? Yep. And then we see Frost. It's, yeah, but we get Greg Nicotero as the other biker that's like as a cameo in here. We'll get to makeup effects and stuff later. But he like pulls the knife out, and that's when Tom Savini's like, boom, dick gun. And he also has like a whip that he takes someone's yep. beer with. But okay. Do you Jor- know why he has a whip? No. It's an homage. Django. No. What is it? What other vampire lore features a character with a whip? I don't know. 
Castlevania. Castlevania. Seth is the most me ever because like, so he starts pouring shots and Kate's like, oh, I can't. I'm not old enough. Jacob's like, I drink, but I don't want to drink now. What's the kid's name? The son's name? Scott. Scott isn't old enough. And so it's just basically him and Richie drinking. And well, he says, Scott says no. And then he talks to Kate and Kate says, I'm not old enough. He goes, huh? That means yes. Yeah. Well, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't drink alone. And I'm like, me. <laughs> I don't want to get drunk alone. Okay. <laughs> then every time they take the shot, he fucking just slams it onto the table. Yes. And I'm trying to think. I think Jacob says something or because I wrote this and I'm like, oh, he's making noises because he's like, I'm pissed because that guy had his hand on me. And Jacob's like, you told us to keep our cool. You're not. And I said, yeah, George, that was pretty uncool of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, but he says, are you su- are you that much of a fucking loser that you don't realize when you've won? Yeah. And he gives him this big speech about how he won, how he's like outsmarted everything. And he's like, Jacob. I want to have a drink with you, like a really sincere little yeah. drink with him. And then we get introduced to Salma Hayek, who comes out with a big snake. Bow your heads. Satanico panico. Yeah, satanico pandemonium. Pandemonium. And this poor fucking dude who's trying to play dominoes on these <laughs> tables. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. And then a callback to a, another episode we had. You remember Tito and Tarantula? Yeah. The band that's playing inside the bar. That is Tito and Tarantula. Eh. If you don't know what we're talking about, listen back to the episode over the faculty. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we, we keep cutting over to Frost. And Frost, he just wants to play dominoes, man. Yo, he's trying. But these women be walking all over these tables. Okay, this is the most fetist. Fetus. Fetist? Fetiest. The fetiest scene. Yo, and Quentin Tarantino put himself right in there. Do you feel like he was probably like writing the script like, and then she, she and then she her puts foot her foot in my mouth, mouth. I mean, into, into his mouth. Yes, <laughs> like I I respect him, but I yes because he's writing it. So she's definitely got a hard on, or it seems for QT for Richie. She walks over to him, puts her foot in his mouth. You know, just and pours the alcohol down her. Pours leg. the alcohol down. Then she drinks some and then spits it and in then his spits mouth. Spits in his mouth. Everybody loves it. <laughs> the only thing I was like, are all these guys really excited that QT is getting all this special treatment? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're uh, good people. Anyway. Know. Have you ever been in a strip club? If you see a dude getting a lap dance or the like woman's on top of him, everybody goes fucking nuts. That's awesome. And then she like walks back and she looks at Cheech Marin, right? Well, Cheech Marin comes back in and he's t- talking to the other guys. He's like, hey, that dude fucking knocked me down. His brother kicked me oh, in the yeah. ribs. But, like, she's got a look of, like, God, these men are fucking stupid. Because they are fucking stupid. And it was then. This is this is what I thought. So that guy was, I think, bad-mouthing Seth or something like that. And then I wrote down, it was then he knew he fucked, fucked up. up. <laughs> well, they get to an argument with him, and then one of the guys stabs yeah. Richie in the hand. Again. Like his, his wounded hand. They stab him yep. in that hand. So he's screaming out... The both of them shoot the three bartenders and Cheech Marin's character, the carnival barker down. And they're like, be cool, everybody. Stay back or we're going to shoot you too. So he's trying to check out Richie's wound. But we see that this knife that Richie stabbed one of the guys over and over and over is drenched in green blood. And then Selma Hayek turns around and it's like, oh my God, she's a snake. Turns into like a snake lady. 
Yeah. It starts to rip out Quentin Tarantino's throat. And then, I mean, this movie just turns into a vampire movie. And nobody fucking questions it. I mean, they're just like, well, I guess it's fucking time to kill some shit. And it goes, we talk about turns into a vampire movie. The movie goes from like zero to 100 miles per hour into like balls to the wall insanity. Yeah, because Seth and the family, I think QT's quote dead at this point. Yeah. And Danny, not Danny Trejo, Tom Savini and the guy who plays Frost. Fred Williamson. And I think there was one other person. There's like a group of people who are fighting, basically. Yeah, it's because all of the people working in the bar and the women, like the strippers, are all vampires. And man, they start ripping people to shreds. It goes to the band. And, and the he's playing like a person. Yeah, he's got guitar. like a person as a guitar and stuff. Activate dick gun. They go into hardcore makeup effects. Some of the vampires they've got, you know what I'm talking about with like Lost Boys where they've got like the high forehead, mm-hmm. I mean, the high cheekbones. Mm-hmm. It's like that times 10 where they've amplified that kind of effect. But then some of the people are flat out like monster, like vampires with like bat faces and stuff some of the stuff is really cool like one of my favorite things is frost basically picking up girls and throwing them over yeah, table legs slamming them on the table yeah <laughs> and then i like this is the one thing i didn't get so sex machine like gives this vampire a pool stick jumps back and what did he do he like gave him a pool stick didn't do anything with the pool stick, took the pool stick again, broke it, and then shoved it through him. I just, like, there was, there seemed to be a step in there. I know what you're talking about, but you know I, I think saying? there's a missing step in there that I can't remember I either. know, I know, I can't remember. But we have Kate, she's behind the bar, Cheech Marin pops up over the bar, and he goes, do you know what they say about me? I suck. Yeah. And then she takes her cross off and shoves it in his mouth. <laughs> this is the part where I'm like, I've never noticed this before. As he starts to melt from, like, the inside from swallowing the cross, he keeps going, Ah! I'm in agony! I'm in agony! I'm in agony! I'm in agony! And then, so I think at this point, they start talking about, or no, they, like... And people get very comfortable with killing the vampires real fast. Right. Now, I can't remember if... QT becomes a vampire now or late? Probably it's, it's later. a little bit late, yeah. later on. Because now they're like, well, what do we know about vampires? And they're like, because I don't believe in vampires, but I know what I saw. Also, going back, because I remember this part too. The guy that Sex Fiend stabs and kills, when he melts, his eyeballs roll oh. into the pockets of the yes. pool yes. table. And so and they... I can't remember. What's the reference where he says something about, oh, I know, it's Selma Hayek's character. She comes over and she's like, Got him down on the ground. She goes, I'm not going to turn you into a vampire. I'm going to make you my slave. You'll lick the dog shit off my heels. Are you ready to be a slave? And he goes, no, thanks. I already had a wife. Oof. But shoots the chandelier. It comes crashing down on her. Kills her. And they're all standing there looking at the carnage that just ensued. And I believe it's Frost says, aren't they supposed to like, you know, blow up or something? And the Uh second he says that all the vampires like burst into flames. So they're basically going through like movie trivia in the sense of like oh garlic oh um you know holy water and then they're like silver no does silver have to do with vampires yeah you're skipping it like that comes a little bit later on okay i can't remember what i'm missing you know we're also missing the part where it's frost and he's fighting that vampire he rips out his heart they stab it with with a pencil pencil. yeah it's fucking good you know the thing i have to think about is because it's just these four guys, and they kill a lot of vampires in this. Oh, Do you think that's... the bar's ever had this problem before? That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, how has this bar lasted so long if this has happened before? I don't know, because especially when you see the end of the movie, you know they've killed 
thousands of people. Well, and then they have like a face-off moment where it's like the four of them gathering the boys and then there's four vampire women walking towards them. And that guy has a pencil and the other one has like, I think, a stake or like a pool stick. I don't know. They each have their own thing. And then yeah. Seth has his gun. So Yeah, it's the 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 stripper vampires that come out. Yeah. Like, they range from like one girl just being, oh, I've got some shit on my face for a vampire. Yeah. To, like, the one that's a big monster where she's got, like, a stump, like, a mouth on her stomach. Yes. So then are we at the part where they're talking about, like, what no, kills it's because vampires? They kill the vampires, and they're trying to get outside because they've barricaded the door. And while they're doing that, that's when Seth goes up to Richie. He's going, oh, I'm so sorry, man. Oh, they yes. did that, And he wakes back up. Yeah. Which I have in my notes, if you've ever seen The Mask with Jim Carrey. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino looks like the villain from The Mask when he gets the Loki mask. That's right, because George does end up killing Richie. Yeah, and this is like the one thing that I kind of really like about the movie, is it doesn't give you the thing like, I can't kill him, it's, it's my brother. It's the fact of like, they go to a specific thing where he looks like a monster, but it goes to his point of view where it just looks like Richie just with like vampire fangs. Mm-hmm. And he gets this moment like looking at him and he just kind of shakes his head all sad and goes like, Hold him back. I Like, I'm going to do it. I got to mm-hmm. do it. And then Kate's like, Seth, are you all right? He's like, no. <laughs> but then they hear a sound outside. She goes, what is that sound? They're like, birds. bats. She yeah, goes, is it birds? He goes, nope, bats. Bats. So they have, realize they have to re-barricade the door because outside of the titty twister is thousands of vampires in the form of bats. Turns out vampires be soft, though. Yeah. And so they're, like, using limbs and shit to like, pat, plug up the door. Uh- I don't remember where it happens in the sequence, but they're like, what do we do now? And the band is still sitting there. Yeah. Let's kill the band. And then the lead singer of Tito Tarantula goes, fuck you. Good night. And then they like explode out of there. I know that at this point. And this is the sequence you're talking where he goes, I don't believe in vampires, but I saw fucking vampires. I don't want to hear this shit about I don't believe in vampires because we just fucking saw vampires. Has Sex Machine also been bit at this point? It's about this time when they're cleaning up the bar and he gets bit, yeah. Okay. Basically, they come and they say, you know, they they develop these plans of what would be strong, I guess, against them. And... Oh, there's another speech in here. Because it's... it's, Yes, they're talking about what would be strong because then Tom Savini goes like, silver, doesn't silver have to do with it? Yeah. It's the part he goes, we have our secret weapon here. And he's talking to Jacob and goes, you might not respect God or Jesus anymore. You still have your faith. That means that you are a mean motherfucking servant of God. He goes, so Jacob, what are you? And he goes, I'm a mean. And he just kind of mouths motherfucking servant of God. I like when, I think it's Tom Savini's character, where he's like, to drive a stake through a human's heart's really hard, but to drive it through a vampire's, it's just, it's all goo. Vampires are just soft boys. I bet we can knock their heads off easy too. Yeah. They've got super strength, yet they're also squishy. They squishy boys and girls. They're like a stretch arm. Like ice cream. <laughs> like ice cream? Yeah. Ew. <laughs> so in this time, Frost gets bitten and Yeah, he's given a speech that's like a like the Jaws speech yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. And while he's given this speech talking about his time in Nam, we got Tom Savini, he got bit, he's slowly turning into a vampire too. That's one question I have for this movie. It's very inconsistent with once you get bit... When you turn. Because it's like zombie rules. If the yeah. vampire bites you anywhere, you'll turn into a vampire. How fast do you turn? Right. But yeah, he sneaks up behind Frost, bites him on the neck, and then we get into a fight where he's fighting George Clooney, Seth, and eventually what he does is he throws him out the door 
breaks open the door or it's not him. He doesn't do it. It's Frost that does it. Yeah. He comes up and goes, you fucking bit me, man. He runs at him. He picks him up, throws him at the door. When he turns around, he's vamped out and all the bats start to fly in the room. And it's Seth and the Fuller family. that They escaped back down a hallway. Except Jacob. Well, Jacob, yeah, he gets bit. Yeah, Jacob is hiding behind the bar. And yep. he makes a makeshift like cross with a. He takes a sh- like a shotgun and puts like a baseball bat through it to make that, so he can cock the gun and then shoot at the vampires. So because basically Seth says your dad's dead, like you leave him behind, but he's not, and he ends up coming back, and they end up making basically weapons. I mean, they make holy water water guns, and they you know have... it's also like this little mistake that we pointed out. It's when they go in that back room and they're trying to like flee the vampire bats and, and Jacob's still behind the counter. They go back and he tries to kick open the door and opens the door <laughs> towards him. Yeah. And then I think that is it set that has like a literal stake driver. Like, yeah. I yeah. Mean, they, they dig around because this is a, it's a cool idea. There's a room that they've got there that all the truckers they've killed over the year. They've got all of their like things that they were like transporting. Yeah. So they're just digging through. They're taking stuff and making weapons. We so keep like, the crossbow. Jackhammer. Yeah, he takes like a jackhammer or something. He puts a stake in there. So he's got like a gun mm-hmm. that's got like a where it's just like jackhammering like a stake out of it or something. Then they find condoms. They fill them up with holy water. They've got the squirt guns. Kate finds the crossbow. They're drawing crosses onto the bullets. So when they fire into the vampires, they blow up with bullets. I love the weapons in this scene. And I feel like we kind of mentioned it when we were talking together before this. But, like, there's a lull in this movie between, like, the hardcore action and then there's, like, kind of a scene where you're, like, vibing and then this scene coming up is, like, madness. Yeah. Which is awesome because one of my favorite things is the cross gun. So this isn't going to necessarily be in order, but at this point, they're basically killing vampires, right? And at one point, Jacob's gun gets shoved through Frost's, like, abdomen and he's shooting vampires through his abdomen which is super neat but before they go out i should mention this jacob tells his family tells everybody you need to kill me if i turn like you have to shoot me you have to kill me and of course they're reluctant but he does end up getting killed by his son yeah but he makes the statement about he puts the gun to his head goes you better promise me right now because i'm gonna kill myself and you probably kind of need me to get somewhat be a little bit helpful before i turn yeah so it's this thing about, like, I'm going to count down from five, five, four, before they eventually go, like, fine, we'll kill you, I promise. And then his son gets turned, and I think she kills all of them. Yeah, it's during the pandemonium of when they break out of there. Like you said, they're out there, he does shove the gun through Frost, and he's firing. And I get a little confused at this, because he points the gun back at Frost, and he does, like, a, oh, shit, and just melts. Eh? So, But it is, while the, all this insanity is going down, we also have Sex Machine still alive. Yep. Kicks his head off and then stabs it. And then she stabs his eye with a pencil. And then he turns into like a rat monster that starts fighting with George Clooney. And she ends up losing her crossbow and she grabs the gun to shoot her brother. Yeah, because Jacob turns into a vampire. He bites his son. His son throws the condom of holy water onto mm-hmm. Jacob, melts him. And then like his son gets pet, like picked up by a whole bunch of vampires and they're all feeding off of him. And he says, just kill me. Just kill Kate, me, Kate. Just kill me. And she does. And so we have... She shoots him and he blows up. Seth and Kate are like the last survivors, basically. I can't remember if they accidentally shoot the wall or what happens. No, it's just... I mean, it's just they're in the middle of the room and they're trying to fight the vampires off. And And it's not barricaded completely. Yeah. And she just goes, what am I going to do? She goes, 
Should we save I, our last bullets for, for our... ourselves? He goes, no, shoot the next fanged fucker who tries to bite you. And now the sun is coming up, but because they've been fighting in the bar all night, there's bullet holes in yeah. inside the like walls everywhere. And so they find that as the vampires get close to the light, they start to burn or they can't walk into yeah. it. So, so he's like, start, shoot the wall. So they start shooting at the wall to add more like little laser beams throughout there. And then they hear Carlos, which was the guy they were supposed to meet. Cheech Marin number three. And they're like, Carlos, kick the door in, kick the door in. And so he kicks it in. And light fills the bar, and all the vampires scream. The, yeah, the and sunlight hits the disco explode. ball and make it a disco, like a disco hall of death. Yo, and so they walk out, and he's like, "What's happening there? Was those psychos?" He's like, "They look like do they fuck psychos? psychos to you?" The psychos burn up in sunlight. <laughs> they were vampires, and of course, she looks. I mean, he looks bad, but like she looks all wrung out too. And am I wrong in thinking the vampires are kind of like putties from Power Rangers? You're fair. That's fair. Because if you watch them, I'm sure it's also a thing of like fight choreography or something. All the vampires are like, Ugh, there's 12 of us and there's one of him. You go first. And so we act like nothing fucking happened because they walk up to the deal and they're like, for all this, my brother's fucking dead. That's your fault. And her for entire all this family's shit- dead yeah. too. They're all the shit you put me through. You better give me like a, what is it? Like a five. He goes, how can I make it up to you? He goes, you yeah. can't make it up for me. You can't make it up to me. My fucking brother's dead. That girl over there, her entire family's dead. You can't make it up to me. 15%. And he basically's like, nah, man, 20, what is it, 25? He was 28%. Oh, 28%. And he goes, 20. And then you go to shake and then he goes, 25. 25. And so they split up the money and Kate's basically like, hey, Seth, you got, you want any company? And he's like, Kate, I'm a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. And then he drives away, and she drives away, and we see the back of this bar. It's like a fucking... It's like an Aztec temple. Yeah. That all of the, like, the backside of it is filled in with all of these, like, bikes and cars and semi-trailers and stuff of all the victims they've killed over the years. And that's the movie. And that's the movie. So before we go into our final thoughts, let's talk about some fun facts for this movie in Intermission. Attention all thrill-seekers and horror show addicts. We interrupt your program for an intermission. Welcome back to Intermission. Talking about some fun facts for From Dusk Till Dawn. First off, the line, No thanks, I've had a wife. That's improvised by George Clooney. (laughs) This is kind of dirty. Selma Hayek, I'm sure she still is. But she was terrified of snakes. Aww. Terrified of them. Aww. And they wanted her to be in the movie when she read the script and they talked about having the snake dangled off her. She went, no way, I can't do it. So Robert Rodriguez said, oh, since you don't want to do it, we got Madonna. Madonna will come in to do it. So Selma Hayek had to go in for two months worth of therapy so she could get the courage to come in and be in the movie. Aww. Selma Hayek had no choreography for this movie. Everything she danced to did it herself. Stunning. This movie had to battle constantly with getting like an NC-17. I can see that. With the amount of gore. So the reason the vampires have green blood is just to temper down the gore a little bit. Because they're like, it's not red blood. It's green blood. It's okay. It's fun. It's fun. That's the big thing with this movie. Technically, what happened with this movie was it was a script before Quentin Tarantino came in. It was Robert Kurtzman. He had just started his brand new makeup company with like Greg Nicotero, which was KNB. And they were like, we want to make a movie. 
that will showcase our talents to be like, look what we can do to try to sell themselves to the industry. Mm -hmm. Before this, all the guys had worked on like massive projects throughout the 80s. I think one of the big ones was definitely Evil Dead 2. Nice. So they wrote, so Robert Kurtzman wrote a draft of a script that was this, and they paid Quentin Tarantino. This was his first movie. He was paid for for just screenwriting to come in and bulk up the script and actually make a, a an actual movie. Oh. I don't know how much of like the Mexican inspiration was in the movie. I don't know if that was something where they eventually hired Robert Rodriguez to come in and he did it because that's what he always does. But he was not the first choice. They had to go around because it was first. It was Robert Kurtzman. He wanted to direct it, was not allowed to, got too busy, couldn't direct it. Then they wanted Quentin Tarantino to direct it. He wouldn't direct it because he was also working on Pulp Fiction at the time. Mm, that makes sense. So they handed it off to his friend, Robert Rodriguez, who was hot commodity at the time. And he, which, I mean, he still is, but this was like his peak when like everybody's like, look at this up and coming director. And he signed on to do it. Cheech Marin, his, the name of his character during the border patrol crossing. Mm-hmm is named after his father, who is an LAPD officer. Oh, that's cool. I don't want to say this movie had a low budget, but it probably has a much lower budget than you would think for this movie due to all the makeup effects. Because of this, they had to get really playful with how they shot stuff. So a lot of the fight scenes are like toned down to try to keep the NC-17 rating down. There were some effects that were in the movie that even Quentin Tarantino was grossed out by. I guess there's a sequence where, like, that vampire that we see that's got the mouth for the stomach, mm-hmm. she transforms and she grabs a guy, puts his head in her stomach, and bites down on him. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is in the deleted scenes. Other things they tried to do to keep the budget down, because the makeup effects budget was so high for this movie, was some of the body parts that are spread out throughout the entire bar restaurant are recycled body parts from Quentin Tarantino movies and Robert Rodriguez movies. Nice. It's also they could only afford like six full body makeups for vampires. Mm. So the vampires you see that are in the full body makeup, they reuse them during multiple uh, scenes. And if they don't do that, you can see them every once in a while in the movie. They have just puppets. Nice. That they made just like foam mm-hmm. statues that just stand in places or cardboard cutouts to try to like make it look there's a sea of vampires. Quentin Tarantino was only paid $1,500 for wow. writing this movie. Huh. If you don't know anything about Robert Rodriguez, he's pretty famous about being very hands-on with every aspect of filmmaking. He ran a lot of the cameras for this movie himself. Oh, cool. And he would get away with stuff to try to make the movie look more expensive. Robert Rodriguez has, like, one of his big talent is, like, I'm going to take a very tiny budget and make it look way more expensive than mm-hmm. it actually is. If you don't know anything about him, like when he did his first movie, which was El Mariachi or the Desperado stuff, his first movie he ever shot that got him acclaimed for like, look at this up and coming director. He filmed for $7,000 and he did everything. He wrote that movie, directed the movie, he ran the camera. He just borrowed shit from people. He did the special effects. He's a big time John Carpenter fan. So he writes music for all of his movies. Wow. So he did like stuff for the movie where he would have one single camera and do like a zoom while he walked with it. Mm-hmm. So it looked like mul- they had multi-cameras throughout the entire thing. Wow. A lot of people have problems with the dick gun that Sex Machine has going. If you use that gun and every time you thrust and the gun goes off, the recoil of the gun is going to smash into your dick. Right. Tom Savini is a Vietnam veteran who says and has an explanation of why that would not happen because of the type of gun it was and the padding he had on there. 
because of his experience being in Vietnam. Interesting. Earl McGraw, played by Michael Parks, is a character that pops up in a lot of different Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez movies, specifically Grindhouse and Kill Bill. Hmm. And that is your fun facts for this movie. So let's talk about our closing thoughts on From Dusk Till Dawn in Bottom of the Box. Bottom of the Box. Welcome back to Bottom of the Box, breaking down our closing thoughts for this movie. So what do we think of From Dusk Till Dawn? I think it's a great movie. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I have a couple little tiny issues with it, but it's mostly like pacing. Yeah, I can agree with that. But I think that kind of has to come down to the fact of like, it's a weird kind of mix mash movie where you have, here's a script, it went to Quentin Tarantino, but it wasn't directed by Quentin Tarantino. So you have a whole bunch of like, very talented people, but too many like cooks in there where you like all the ingredients are good, but sometimes they don't mix together all that well. I get you. So let's talk budget for this movie. How much do you think it cost to make From Dusk Till Dawn? Two million. 900000 900000 Yeah. Cost $19 million to make this movie. A good chunk of it was makeup effects. Uh, that's a lot of... <laughs> that's that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of makeup effects in no, this movie. No, it's true, but, like, that just feels like a lot. How much money did it make at the box office? I'm trying to think. I feel like this wouldn't hit everybody. Mid-90s. Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez are huge. I mean, they still are, but this was, like, their heyday. $52 million? It's hard to tell. It's somewhere between 30 to $60 million. Okay. The big thing is, after it came out like home video, huge, yeah. huge cult following. I'm sure. They've had multiple... I've never seen them. They've done multiple like straight-to-DVD-like sequels to this movie. Mm-hmm. And then... I don't know if it's around anymore. There was this TV station that Robert Rodriguez made called El Rey. Mm-hmm. And one of their premiere shows that they put on there was From Dust Till Dawn. Cool. I've heard good things about it, but I've never seen it. So let's rate this movie. How do you want to rate From Dusk Till Dawn? Giant Snakes. Giant Snakes. How many Giant Snakes do you want to give From Dusk Till Dawn? It's so hard because I love the writing in this movie. But like there are like, I felt bored a little bit between fights. You like know what the I mean? giant vampire waves? Yeah. Maybe four, four and a half. I don't know. One of those two. Giant Snakes. I'm going to say four as yeah. well. I think it's good. There's definitely some things that, like, it suffers. It's just a weird kind of lull in the movie. But Quentin Tarantino's a fucking good screenwriter. The makeup effects are really, really great in this movie. It's a lot of fun. And you can tell they're all having fun while making the movie, too. So that that's my only really, really big complaint is there's just this weird kind of lull in the movie. Right. But that was From Dusk Till Dawn from 1996. If you've not done so, we are almost at the end of Vampire Month. Go ahead, follow our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We post clues there. If you guess the movie for next week's episode, we will give you a shout out. A couple other things. We are coming up on our 50th episode here that comes out in July. Don't want to miss that. And we're also announcing right now, next week, we will have some special guests on the show. Yay! I cannot wait for you guys to hear that episode. I know. They're going to be awesome. I thought I think it's a I think it's a great episode. Me too. But that was this week's episode of It Came from the Midwest, a horror movie podcast. I'm your host Andrew and Aaron, and we'd like you to, to have, have a, a safe, safe drive, drive home. home. And now folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage. 
and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of It Came from the Midwest, a horror movie podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handle at ICFTM Podcast. It Came from the Midwest is written, edited, and produced by Andrew Halsey and Aaron Smith.